It's Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. This is Messiah Matters number 333. Uh, the chat room thinks that denominations are jamming us. My name is Caleb Hegg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll do it again. I was just saying that uh, we've just been getting a lot of snow where I live. <laughs> Yep, I'm no I'm no good at this. I'm Rob Bailoff. <laughs> oh man, how's it going, buddy? <laughs> it's going well. How are you doing? You're 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 doing a good job there. I know that uh, second time's a, a whole bunch of uh, yeah. Second time's a charm. <laughs> technical stuff that's over my head. So <laughs> second time is a charm. All right. Well, uh, for those who didn't catch it, we tried to stream this, and uh, unfortunately, uh, we had nothing but feedback. So. Yeah, that's where we're at. So last week we talked about denominations. No, we didn't. <laughs> that's a lie. That's totally a lie. Translations is what I was looking for. Translations is what we took, talked about last week. Now, uh, two weeks ago we talked about uh, well, we talked about annihilationism, and I, you know, I just want to say uh, I I was blessed and uh, it, I was blessed to be able to sit down with Chris Date. And Chris Date is the uh, I believe he's the founder of Rethinking Hell. He is certainly one of the most prominent uh, teachers on Rethinking Hell. Chris is a lovely person, a brother in the Lord, and uh, I was very blessed to, to sit down and, and chat with him. Chris has given a, he did a show the other day responding to our uh, criticisms of annihilation theory. Uh, his, his response is two hours long. Uh, so if you want to see a two hour long response, you can go check that out on rethinking hell. Um, that's a, that's a long response. That's a long time. That's a long time. Now, here's the thing is that, um, I've actually done personal research now. Uh, I've gone and read a lot of different things on rethinking hell. I have watched some videos. Um, I kind of skipped through the two hour response that Chris made um, not only am I not convinced, but actually reading some of the articles on Rethinking Hell has solidified my my uh, belief in eternal punishment of the wicked. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's fine that that uh, Chris and, and the guys over at Rethinking Hell, uh, this is like their this is their thing, I, which I, I think is interesting, but that's fine. Um, you know, and, I, and not necessarily that they want it to be their thing, but. I mean, honestly, I, I, I just see it as plain as day. And I know that uh, everybody over at Rethinking Hell sees the opposite plain as day. Um, and that's fine. That People can think what they want. Uh, I, I just think that, uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think it's kind of a, I guess it's because I, I see the argument as, uh, as just so unconvincing. It's just so unconvincing that it's it's a little bit of a I mean it's not an argument that I really care to have because I'm wondering personally I don't yeah I I feel similar but my reasons there's so many other important things to be working on there's there's places where we need to labor in the Word of God to teach the Word of God and this I'm, just feels like a dead end, like leading people down a dead end. And it's like, yeah, nothing to see here, I guess. Well, you know, I, I suppose we could, say that. We, we could say that about any any part of scholarship. I mean, people would certainly say that about, you know, my my focus in, in studies for two years was in meal customs of the first century. People are going to say that that's uh, why in the world would you choose that? And I understand that. So, I mean, I, 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna down a person for choosing a specific uh, theological topic to to study and investigate. However, uh, the the thing that I will say is that I I, I just I find the uh, the arguments. Here's the thing: is that the people over at Rethinking Hell and the people who hold to a annihilation view, it's not like they. I mean, they have to have a dictionary to decipher every single term that they're going to use. If you use just the wrong, you know, it's like they nitpick every single little word in the way that you know. It's like that. I don't think that that's exactly how it's. I mean, and okay, fine. It's just it's exhausting. It's exhausting to have to try to uh, discuss with people who are who have put so much into something that like that, you know. And do people feel the same way? Like, let's say, you know, a oh, I'm Christmas, sure. e- Christmas, Easter Sunday, you know, Baptist. Oh, I look. Hey, saying, I, look, you're just, you know, this Torah thing and yeah, all that. You're, there, there's no doubt in my mind that people feel the same about many of the things that we have have talked about, and we, you know. I'll get, and there's other things, even in the Torah movement, that I feel the same about. People keep bringing up two house theology. I don't care. Like, I it, no offense to people, and they're it's not a molehill that I I want to to storm or or die on. I you know it's just it's kind of ridiculous to me. I I don't want to talk about two house theology because I, I it's just I, I'm uninterested. That's all there is to it. You know, there's other things, too. I think, that honestly, and this goes to bigger issues, really. When it comes to the Torah movement, I mean, certainly, I think the law of God, obviously, is something that we need to keep. And I think that all of it applies. However, I think that this has become such a central focus. You know, people are so focused on it that they've missed a lot of other very important things. Uh, And and also have have become um, really... uh, forceful against people who disagree the church in general you know oh the church doesn't believe the same as i do on the kosher laws so now i'm going to you know now they're pagans kind of a thing it's it's ridiculous um now certainly now that we've gone off of the rethinking hell certainly chris and i actually get along really well we have a lot in common when it comes to theology um, and so I, I don't want to, uh, act like, you know, the guys over at Rethinking Hell are saying that, you know, anyone who doesn't agree with them is, are heretics. That's certainly not the case. In fact, I, I would say anyone who doesn't disagree with him will be disappeared <laughs> yeah, exactly. from existence. <laughs> you, if you don't, you're still a brother. If you don't believe in annihilationism, you'll just burn in hell for eternity. <laughs> not playing. I'm sorry. All right. Um, Okay, uh, you know, just I, having some we, fun here. we need to. So we had some uh, some let me let me just check some audio things here because I don't know if um, if I can actually hear this. Oh, I can. Can you hear that? OK, good. Um, well, in that case, Lee, thank you very much for the super chat. Uh, we appreciate it. You've been blessed. OK, um, yeah. With that said, let's go to some comments. I'll tell you what, you t- start talking about Bible translations and, and people, man, people are passionate. There are some passionate people out there. Charles this morning, some I, I've never interacted with this gentleman before. His name's Charles. He wrote this on one of our videos from last week. He said, wait, you guys are making negative comments about Bibles and you are not even sure what you are talking about. Now, I, let's just stop. Let's just stop right there for just a second. I don't know what he means by, and you're not even sure, you know, like, 
you're not even sure what you are talking about. I'm pretty sure that we've, I mean, I'm pretty sure that at least the comments we made were pretty sure about. Um, anyway, okay, let's keep going with Charles' comment here. He says, get your facts straight before you make negative comments. This is not factual information. It's just gossip. Okay, now this is actually the word that I have a little problem with. It's just gossip? You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Gossip would be against a person, not against the translation, first of all. Second of all, uh, translations, every single translation, if you're going to put a translation out, you are going to have it scrutinized. And the reason why is because you are attempting to translate the word of God. So a translation, no matter if it's good, bad, no matter what, it's going to be scrutinized by the public and by scholars. It, I mean, just expect it. It doesn't matter if you're a single person. Doesn't matter if you're a you know a family that wants to do it. Doesn't matter if you're a uh, a you know a committee that's going to put together a a new translation of the Bible. You will be scrutinized, and rightfully so. <laughs> okay, sorry, Caleb. Go for it. I just realized, okay, I'm on Bible.com because yes. we're going to talk about this today. I just realized there's a new Messianic version. <laughs> and can I started we, reading we, Romans 1. Okay. Can we, can we just say to people real quick, stop making translations. Stop with the Messianic Bibles. If you get it into your head, hey, I think that I, I should make a new translation, stop. Just, okay. just stop. Look at, go to, go to Bible.com, Romans 1, Shaul, desired, meaning because that they're interpreting what it means, a slave of Yeshua, God is salvation, Moshiach, Messiah, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel, joyful message of God the Father. That's just verse 1. I mean, that's, (laughs) and so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is stay away. Okay, just stay away. This is I, I'm just telling you, you only have so many precious breaths. Right? right. You only have so many moments on this beautiful earth of the life that God has blessed you with. I'm just telling you, don't bother. Here's the if thing. It, I, I'm saying if it says something like this, the new messianic version, just Go with, go with NASB. Okay, ESB. hang on. Let, let, let's talk about this for a few seconds. Let's let's run down some history real quick. Wow. Okay, and, and let's just run down history in the in the past. I don't know how many years, thirty or forty years. Okay, first of all, before we jump in, two five three four six five thirty two zero five. You can call and yell at us all you want. That's totally fine. Uh, and it's just a message machine. You won't talk to us. You can you can say whatever you want. You can also shoot us email. Cagatoryresource.com. Cagatoryresource.com. In the, in the description of this video, I put two links. One of them is to my father's teaching, what version of the apostolic scripture should I read? You can find that at TorahResource.com. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Don't forget to subscribe and like this video. So subscribe to this YouTube channel, like this video. Okay, with that said, let's go down some history real quick. First of all, if, if you think to yourself, hey, I want to make a new translation, stop. And the reason why is because... There, there needs to be some understanding of why a, why a new translation should be given. Now, if you go down church history, if you look at from Tyndale, uh, you know, Wycliffe to Tyndale, and then into the New King James Version, there's genuine, legit reasons. 
obviously. They're trying to get the Bible into English. The KJV is going to be authorized. Praise the Lord, right? Tyndale even said to, you know, supposedly his last words when he was being burnt at the stake was, Lord, open the king's eyes. Uh, and, you know, this apparently happened within 100 years because all of a sudden we have an authorized version. Now, we could talk about all the politics that went along with that. After the KJV, there are legit reasons why new Bible translations are are coming around, okay? And, you know, th- there are great lectures by Daniel Wallace on the, on the formation of the English Bible, and I would highly recommend going and trying to find those and listening, and listening to them. Um, but ultimately, now we get into the 20th century and coming up to the 21st century. We have great translations. For instance, the NASB 95 is probably one of the greatest translations you're going to find out there. And so the question that should come to everyone's mind Now that we have a good translation, we have the NASB 95. Now they come out with the ESV, a little easier to read, maybe not quite as good in certain places, but it's it's still fantastic. You got two really good English translations. So now the question should be, why would we translate a new translation? What's the benefit of translating a new translation? Okay, and we're going to get into a lot of this today. And there is benefit. There is some benefit to translating new translations. But if somebody just says to themselves, you know what? I think it should be Yahoshua instead of Yeshua. Or I think that they should say Yahweh instead of just translating it Lord or God. Or I think that, you know, Romans 5.1 is mistranslated in most translations. I'm going to retranslate the entire Bible. Stop. That's not a good reason to translate a whole new, like put put out a whole new translation. I think we have, I think... What you're saying as another aspect, the, a lot of the translation, just on the Bible.com, a lot of these translations to me are not motivated by cl- someone who clearly grasps the core doctrines of, of the gospel. Yes. Rather, they have beefs with the church. Exactly. Not and here's reason. the other thing, Caleb, I remember remember you wrote a couple of years ago, you wrote a, one of your blogs was why, I, why I'm leaving the Messianic movement or something. I wish maybe you need to go back and, and add an, uh, an appendix of all these messianic. Do you realize how many Bibles? Look, look at this. I'm just here. There's one called the Orthodox Jewish Bible. There's the scriptures. There's the world English or the world messianic Bible. And there's the new messianic version. It's I'm, like, I'm sorry. What's look, going on here? Look, the word of God is, is holy and it's, and it's, you know, powerful. It's sharper than a two edged sword. Okay. People are mishandling this. It, having this many translations is not beneficial. First of all, second of all, if your idea is, "Hey, I just wanna, I just wanna change a couple of names here or there," that's a. I'm sorry to say, like, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but that's a stupid reason to try to retranslate the entire Bible. First of all, second of all, let's let's go a little farther. Let's go down some some history now. Look at let's look at the Net Bible. Now, originally the Net Bible, what happened was there was a family, well-known family, and they have all these manuscripts that they want to that they travel around. They they let people come and, and view. It's like a traveling museum, right? And you can go and you can see these beautiful ancient manuscripts and Bibles. That I think that I'm not positive, but I I'm I'm pretty sure I'm like 85 percent sure they have an, an adultery Bible. If you don't know what that is, it was a misprint. And it actually says you shall commit adultery in the ten words. Okay, and so it's been deemed the 
adultery Bible. There's all sorts of Bibles like this where there's misprints, okay? And the Net Bible is one of them. Too. The second second uh, printing of the second edition of the Net Bible is a uh, is known as know is known as the ASS Bible because um, because da- Dr. Daniel Wallace accidentally hit a second S when he was pr- putting as in the preface. And so it has been deemed the ass Bible. Um, anyway, I didn't know that. Anyway, all, so so that. almost every single version has some blunder like this at some point. It's in and there's I I think to date there's only three adultery Bibles left. Anyway, so so this traveling museum they have all these wonderful manuscripts and Bibles that you can go see. It's great. Okay, so what happens is they put out these little plaques saying what the translation of this passage is. And they use, I forget what version it is. I, I, choose, a, choose your favorite, you know, standard translation today. They, they, they translate all of them. They get sued. They get sued for copyright infringement for putting out these plaques and using too much of a single translation. And the family says, this is ridiculous. The Bible should not be copywritten like this. And so they decided to, they're very wealthy, they decided to get a lot of scholars together, good, good, good scholars together, and make a new translation of the Bible for the reason that they wanted to make it so that people could use it without copyright infringement. And they put it on the internet. And originally it was called the Net Bible. And that's where it comes from, the Net Bible. Now, I will be the first to admit the Net Bible is not the greatest translation with all due respect to their great editors like Dr. Wallace, okay? I don't think it's the greatest of translations. With that said, what they uh, the other thing that they did was they put in 60,000 notes from great scholars. They spent a lot of money doing this. This is a good reason. This is a good reason to put out a new translation. And honestly, I think that the Net Bible, if you go to, the, uh, I think it's netbible.com or something like that, if you find, just put in the Net Bible online, the whole thing is available for you to read, check out the notes, whatever, and they've made it available all over the place. Now it's called like the New English Translation, still the Net Bible. But just assuming to yourself, you know what, I have I have a different theology than these Christians, and so I'm going to retranslate this. Then here's the other, here, I'll, I'll get off my, my pedestal here in just a second. The other pet peeve that I have is when people try to make a translation, but then they try to mix languages. Don't put in like, don't put in half Hebrew or put in Hebrew and English and then translate some words and okay, here's transliterate a, can others. I, I need to, okay. On that very point, <laughs> one of my beefs, there's one called the scriptures. It's blue. Oh, wait, hang on. Wait, wait, just, wait, wait we'll me, get to it. We'll get to it. But well, okay. let me just say, okay. because I'll forget. Here's just an example. So throughout the Greek in the apostolic writings, it'll say kurios, 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 right? Which is Lord. Well, what they do, they tell you that they'll translate it sometimes as master, capital M, and other times with the Hebrew tetragrammaton. Whereas, but the Greek text below, it just says kurios. But they don't tell you yeah. on what, what point they are making their decision. They just make their own their own decision on this one. Um, I'm, I'm, we're not going to get into this. However, 1 John 2.26 in the chat room says the apostles wrote in Aramaic and Hebrew, not Greek. Uh, you're wrong. This is not, I mean, this is obvious. 
from the from the texts. Uh, we've written on this, we've spoken on this numbers and numbers of times. Clearly, the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, was written in Greek, not Hebrew or Aramaic. Yeah, I have a review. I think you have a review of Andrew Gabriel Roth's uh, Aramaic New Testament. I encourage you to go read that. Um, and everybody always goes to Matthew. The idea that Matthew was written in Hebrew first, this is, I mean, go look at the lists of the canons of the canon there they have three categories they have accepted uh uh disputed or disputed or, or reject disputed and then rejected in the z- same lists they have uh the gospel of matthew and then they have the hebrew gospel which apparently was supposedly written by matthew as well in the rejected so it's not the they're not the same books i've done a lot of work on this i think rob's done a lot of work on this anyway not true. Okay, let's get into some translations because why not, right? Um, let's go back to so in a, to the first comment. This is not gossip. We're we're reviewing uh, uh, translations, not people. Okay, uh, Brandon also comments. He says, "Hey guys, enjoy your channel and watch often. What are your top five most correct versions?" I would like to buy a new Bible, but I have no idea where to start. I currently read the NKJV. Okay. Um, I think that this is more difficult and probably more of a standard question than uh, just getting our opinion. I would say that a literal translation or a word-for-word translation or attempt uh, word-for-word or attempted literal translation is going to be the best that you can get. And because of that, all you have to do is look for literal translations. You can do that by typing that into a Google search somewhere. Um, And ultimately... The five literal translations, there are others, but, and actually, let's be honest, the KJV is a literal translation. The NKJV is a literal literal translation. We'll talk about why it's not in my top five list, Um, but that's in just a few minutes. So the top five that I have down are the NASB, ESV, RSV. I put in the Tree of Life version because they do attempt to have it be a uh, word-for-word translation. I think it's got problems, as does every translation. With that said, Tree of Life version and the HCSB, or also the CSB, which we'll talk about a little bit more. Now, are there major problems with with each one of those translations? Yeah, there are. There are major tra- uh, major problems, I think. But you're going to get that in any translation. What are the worst translations? Well, one thing I noticed on our on the Bible.com, they don't have the New World Translation. Oh. Which is the um, Jehovah's Witness. Right. Nor do they have the Mormon. I think the Mormon Bible, I think, has some modifications of the KJV, doesn't it? Um, well, I think the Mormons released their own version of the KJV. It's they modified. Did, they did. It's not, but the text itself is not modified. It just comes with Joseph Smith's notes. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. And I his don't know notes for sure. are a doozy. So. Anyway, so yeah, uh, but worse trans. I would say, yeah, I would say like these anything new that says messianic on it, I would Run. be suspicious of myself. Run. Yeah, I think. Uh, um, but here, I it appeals to the people who are going. Oh, you know, I my pastor never taught me this or that, and then I tried to ask him about it, and he thinks I'm a heretic now. Therefore, I can't trust anything produced by the church. So I need to go to someone who's outside the church who's produced it. Right. 
Um, so Unashamed of Jesus asks, what are the, your thoughts on the Texas Receptus? Well, we can talk about that. I think that Wallace is probably much better uh, at, you can go in and uh, hear, I've even interviewed Dr. Wallace on and asked him about the Texas Receptus. Um, but we'll talk about the KJV here in just a second. When it comes to worst translations, the ones that first come to mind for me, obviously the message, uh, stay away from the message at all costs. The message is is uh, is just bad. And it's a it's a hyper yeah, uh, hyper paraphrastic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, next in line was the Et Sefer. The Et Sefer Bible is heretical. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't sipping any coffee right there. I'd forgotten about that one. <laughs> yeah, the Et Sefer is heretical. They they add all sorts of books that aren't even in the apocalypse. I mean, it's just bad. The whole thing is just ridiculous and uh, just a, a very bad I, translation. I don't know if I anyway. Uh, stay away from that run and the scriptures, the scriptures, which we will talk about a little bit in uh, in detail. For now, let's uh, move on to the KJV. Now, the KJV, let's be honest, for what it was at the time it was, is a unbelievable feat. They based most of what they did on Tyndale's uh, version. Uh, there are some who have argued that the major differences between Tyndale's translation and the KJV are really just five words. Um, Tyndale was a master of language and actually coined some phrases. Uh, and so things that you would, you would know. Um, and anyway, with that said, uh, the KJV took a lot from Tyndale and, uh, they did a, a very good job with what they had. The problem with the KJV is that they use late manuscripts. Now, what does that mean? It means that uh, bef- when the KJV was being translated, some of our earliest manuscripts, manuscripts like Sin- uh, Sinaiticus, uh, Vaticanus, uh, Ephraimi, these texts were not had not been found yet. And because of that, you have some major, uh, well, you have late manuscripts. They're, they're pulling from manuscripts that are like 10th century and later. Um, because of this, you have verses that have crept in. So for instance... Um, major changes and or what I would say additions to the text are just three examples would be Matthew 18, 11, Luke 9, 56. And then, of course, the famous, very famous, which is in most Bibles at this point, Mark 16, 9 and following the longer ending of Mark. Um, now, some people are going to say, yeah, I'm glad that's in my Bible. OK, that fair enough. And in like the ESV and the NASB, you're going to have the longer ending of Mark. It's just going to be um, in brackets. And the KJV is not going to tell you that. I think the new King James Version does. They have uh, notes on that, letting you know that this is not in the later uh, later manuscripts. With that said, are there some good things in the KJV? Yeah, they got some things right. Believe it or not, they, you know. And I shouldn't say believe it or not. There are people who think that, you know, it's inspired. It's I don't believe it's inspired. Uh, Mark 719 is a great example of how the the KJV translated uh, something right and correctly. uh, Right. Yeah. And and did and did just, you know, I like a lot of the the Psalms, like the majestic messianic Psalms in the King James are beautiful. Just be. be, But there's it has to do with that English. You know, that. I don't know, is that called Elizabeth in English or whatever? You know, it's the Shakespeare English, which has a, a grand uh, might to it that we don't really have today. So I, I appreciate that for that reason, too, for the different uh, right. register of, of English. But 
translations, if we call translations inspired, yeah, no, what we're, we're doing, we're, we're expanding the canon. Right. Because we, because it's just that you're walking down a, a broken branch at that point. Yeah. You know, um, we have to be careful of what we mean by inspired. And, and is it a revelation? In other words, is the King James Version a revelation from heaven that then now I don't even need the Hebrew anymore? I don't even need the Greek? Uh, I don't, you know, the Dead Sea, the discovery in the Dead Sea Scrolls or, or anything like this has no bearing now because it's been revealed once and for all in the King James Version. And then if that's true, what does that mean? Does that mean all languages of the world need to translate from the King James Version or can they translate from the Hebrew and Greek again? So if we're going to go produce, let's say, a new translation in Chinese right. or Arabic or Swahili, what do the translators work from? The King James Version? Or can they actually learn Hebrew and Greek? So th there's a whole thing, a whole can of, uh, can of worms that, yeah. can of worms or can of beans that we open up here with that. So I just a note on the KJV. My, you know, I think that a lot of our parents grew up on the KJV, right? My father, growing up, grew up in a very uh, you know, strong Baptist home. My my grandfather was a Baptist pastor. And, you know, they use the KJV. My dad memorized the KJV. My great uncle was a pastor and a missionary. And uh, he had this, this deep, you know, booming voice. And just, it was a radio voice for sure. And there's something about that, uh, that, that language in the KJV that, like, resonated with that generation as being reverent. And so my great uncle he was always asked to pray, always asked to pray. And the reason why was because his voice was just this, you know, and he would, you know, he'd be talking to you about, oh yeah, you know, we, we went out and we, you know, we were in our Chevy and doing, you know, yada, 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 just totally normal. And then all of a sudden he'd be asked to pray, let us all bow our heads, our Lord and God, thy great abundance, you know, and all of a sudden he'd launch into KJV English. And uh, so I think there is, you know, there's a, a soft spot in a lot of the older generation's heart for the KJV language. And I don't have a problem with that. I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. Um, but in terms of a translation, I like to try to get back to the oldest manuscripts possible. <clears throat> and because of that, I would say that the KJV is probably not the greatest in terms of translation, but there is a place for it. Okay, let's move on. I've seen some comments in the comments section in our chat room about the scriptures. And let's talk about it. Jason writes in, I'd love to hear your concerns with the scripture version. Where to start? Where to start? First of all, this is one of those translations that can't figure out if it's a translation or not. They literally have Hebrew in the text, like untranslated Hebrew in the text. And I think it's all to do with the sacred name, right? So they have yod heh vav -Hey. They've misspelled Yeshua, which they talk about in their preface. They come right out and just say, we made a decision, and the decision we think is right, and it's Yehoshua instead of Yeshua, even though we realize that the tradition in Hebrew has been Yeshua basically for all time. Um, so right there, you're on my bad side. It, the very first problem that I have with the scriptures, and I'll let you go too, Rob, but the very first problem I have with the scriptures is that it's absolutely unreadable. You cannot read the scriptures and not stumble over it. It's impossible. 
Uh, it's not good English. This, the, I don't know, you know, sentence structure isn't right half the time. Uh, they, they mix in, they try to transliterate everything. So they transliterate Hebrew as if people are going to know what you're talking about. They make decisions. They, instead of, you know, kurios, they say master, but then they put Elohim. So I'm not sure like why they would do that. Um, it, it's just all over the place in terms of, of that. However, there are some grave concerns with the translation itself. Do you want to start or do you want me to? Well, why don't you go first? Okay, I'm going to start. I'll start with uh, Romans 10.9. Okay, now this is an important passage. And the reason why is because in the Greek, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try to get too into the Greek, but in the Greek, the word Lord is kurios. This is normally translated Lord in your New Testament Bible. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the, the sacred name of God, yod heh is translated almost all of the time as kurios. Okay, so in Romans 10.9, let's go to it in the, uh, what do I have up here? Well, RSV. Okay, let's go with the RSV. Uh, Romans 10.9 is going to say, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and this is the word kurios, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the theological question on this is, what is it talking about? Is it talking about yod heh or is it talking about just simply Lord? And there's a big debate over this. Okay, so now let's go to the uh, scriptures. And they totally erase the argument. They totally don't even give you any notion of it. Why? That if you confess with your mouth mas- the Master Yeshua, actually it's Yehoshua, but it's, it's, well, in, it's Hebrew. in Hebrew. It's in Hebrew, right. Um, so that, that's another, just a footnote there. Why do sometimes they transliterate a Hebrew word into English letters, and then other times they just put the Hebrew letters? It's inconsistent. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, it's inconsistent at, at, at best. But, but listen to the way that they phrase this. That if you confess with your mouth the Master Yeshua and believe in your heart. Okay, so it, you've taken out the Greek. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is kurios, that's, that's the crux of the argument. And they've taken that out completely. I mean, all you have to do is read a little bit in this, in this, uh, you know, and and then they even supply in in Hebrews nine one they even supply as almost all translations do the word covenant. Well, I thought they were trying to stay true to the text. Uh, no, um, you go. What do you got? We're still, we're still, <laughs> are we still talking about the scriptures? Yeah, we're going to just stick on that one. There's one that annoys me like really bad, and it it. It reflects the mindset of those who the translators here, and it's and it it's back in Genesis eighteen. So in the scriptures, the quote when I say the scriptures, I'm talking about the Bible, right? Uh, is it Institute for Scripture Research or whatever like that? In in Genesis eighteen twenty two, if you read it, it says so the men turned away from there and went toward uh, Sodom with an underlying D. I don't know why they do that. Uh, but yod still stood before Abraham. And then the B has an underline, because I think you're supposed to say Avraham. 
was they should use a V then. I, I, I'm confused. But in, anyway, they've changed this word. They've changed this Torah. It's, it, the Torah says, and the Lord, or it says, Abraham still stood before Adonai. They swap it around. They say Adonai still stood before Abraham. And their rationale is, oh, this was a tikkun of the Sofrim, that the, they make the claim that the scribes changed it, that it originally read what they have, but the scribes changed it. So no matter what Hebrew manuscript you look at, you're always going to see the changed version. And because they're aware of this, this rabbinic midrash from this time of polemics with the church fathers, where where the rabbis are saying, well, actually, it originally said that right. Abraham stood before the Shekinah, before Yodhivafe. They took that as literal off one witness. Right. And they changed the word of God and then published it and disseminated it into the world. And I don't, did we post, T Tim Haig wrote a, gave a great SBL paper on this. And he, he got, not only was it applauded, but... Um, Dr. David Marcus, who's an amazing Jewish scholar of the Masora, said that was an excellent, excellent paper. And so that that's at SBL. I don't remember what year that was, Caleb. That might have been Atlanta, maybe, or or um, I actually linked it in our in the uh, description. Good, good. Anyway, show. so you can read. We've got it in two formats. You can read it the web version, or you can download a PDF. It's about maybe twenty pages or what not. Um, Excellent article by Tim Haig, present, presented originally for an SBL Masora section, very well-received and respected work, and um, it gives you the proper framework for appreciating what the rabbis are doing there in their polemic with church fathers about the nature of the three visitors in Genesis 18 to Abraham. But see, the thing is, is the, the, the producers of the scriptures they they're, they lack nourishment in training in, in good approach and healthy interpretation history, and they're they, what they they they're tightened and narrowed out of their own polemical uh, interaction with the church, right. and in so doing, they become very narrow, and in their narrow narrow translation, quote unquote, they actually twist and distort the message of the scriptures in so many ways. I know you you mentioned Romans 10. Romans 5 is another one. Uh, there another one that, that in this the quote the scriptures is in namas in Greek, they'll translate it sometimes capital T Torah and then sometimes lowercase T Torah. Like a good example for that is like Romans chapter eight. You know, the Torah, lowercase t, of the spirit of life has freed you from the Torah, of lowercase t. And then it goes back to the Torah, capital T. And they shift it. They do the same thing in Romans two and elsewhere in Romans seven. So there's sometimes, like, how does that help? How does it help me, a reader, to be reading Torah with a capital T, and then sometimes it's lowercase t. And then sometimes Kurios is master, capital M, 
Sometimes it's in Hebrew letters, yod heh vav It's they are twist. It's like Twister, you know, like the show twist or the game Twister. It's like they're doing that with their theology in the scripture. That's my look. Opinion. We we have there's so much I could say here. First of all, um, there are so many problems in the scriptures translate the scriptures translation. Um, just so many, and beyond that, it's very difficult to read. Second of all, there is a conversation going on about the fact that the word Shekinah is not in or Shekinah is not in the scriptures. It's not in the actual right. And that's true. Um, but then there's also a conversation going on in the chat room about Strong's. And I don't want to down anyone for using Strong's. I use Strong's from time to time. In fact, if you get a Bible software program and you hover over a word, most of the time they'll actually show you what the Strong's number is down below. And then they'll give you maybe a, a Strong's entry or they'll give you a lexicon entry. The only thing I, I want to say about the... Um, the only thing I want to say about the Strong's Concordance is that it's not a lexicon. It's not a, it's not a a dictionary. Now it works sometimes in that function. I mean, it, on not on purpose. It just does. But ultimately, all it's showing you is how the translators of the KJV translated this specific word. It doesn't tell you the range of the word within. Right. Within it's like an index. It's, it's like the King James looking in a mirror. Right. Really. In a. In a yeah. And then now you can, they have newer ones. You can get yeah. a Strong's for the NIV, I think. And the ESV, I think, or the NSV, one of those two. Anyway, um, what is, somebody asks in the chat room, what is Tor, uh, TRI? It's Torah Resource Institute. TR Institute is the school that is associated with uh, Torah Resource, obviously. And uh, Torah Resource Institute uh, is where Rob teaches Greek, uh, among many other classes. It's the school that I went to school at. And uh, you can sign up right now. Go sign up for classes. You can sign up for first year Hebrew starting in the fall. This is something we've never done before. You or in the spring, something we've never done before. Normally, you have to sign up for it in the fall, and we only offer it once a year. But now we're offering it twice a year, so you can sign up for beginning Hebrew. So you won't have to. You know, you can you can look at the the Hebrew text yourself. You don't need to rely on translations, um, and you can do all of that by going to school. And learning the languages yourself. You can also take Greek from Mr. Van Hoff himself. That does start in the fall. And uh, yeah. All right. Let's keep going. So we've talked about the scriptures translation. I, I got to say, the scripture 2009 um, run. This is a translate. I can't like, I can't say it enough. I, I would not use this at all. Wait, which one is that one now? The scriptures. The oh, scriptures. I just found one more in Romans 10. It says the Messiah is the goal of the, and then it says Torah unto righteousness in quotes to everyone who believes that that's such a ruining of what Paul's point is, right? Um, the Torah unto righteousness in quotes is wrong. Messiah is the goal of the Torah, right? Yes. Righteousness to all who believe. Yeah. That that's yeah they've they've butchered it. Stay away from the scriptures. That's that's my viewpoint. The scriptures two thousand yeah the two two thousand nine. It's the uh, T S two thousand nine is is how they shorten it. Anyway, um, Lois who is in the chat room right now who has taken three years of Greek from Rob uh, writes and she says Caleb check with your dad about the CSV uh, if that is the HCSV. 
uh, he had Graves concerns about it. Okay, so my father, if you're wondering who my father is, my father is the president of Torah Resource Institute and the Hebrew teacher and among other things. Um, with all of that said, I did check with my dad. He couldn't remember exactly all of his concerns. I did some searching myself. They got Romans 5.1 wrong. They uh, got uh, Hebrews 9 wrong. They got, you know, there's a couple of passages that I go to every time, you know, flip open to the, these passages. And one of the things that I actually want to do is I want to uh, catalog a couple of these passages and then do a video where I just go through a couple of different translations. Oh, that would be good, Caleb. The, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll probably do that here uh, sometime soon. But uh, yes, Lois, you're right. There are some some major flubs in the CSB version which used to be the HCSB version. However, the one thing I will say, and I have the CSB here. This is my dad's copy of it, and they gave us these uh, at the SBL one year uh, before it came out. Just on a Bible uh, aesthetic handling itself, one of the things that they did right with this, and I don't know if this is the same for every single version, I can't stand it when really nice Bibles, and they do this on almost all of them, they put leather on the outside of the cover, and then they put paper or like a thick paper on the inside. If you're going to put out a nice Bible, put leather on both sides, and the CSB did that. Um, anyway, with that said, there are some major problems, however, the CSB is a literal translation. And so even though it has some some issues, as all translations are going to, it they try to make it a literal translation, translation which means that for the most part, you're going to get a general sense and, and right translation. There are going to be problems in it, as there are with every translation, but at the same time, yeah, it's, uh, it's I would say that it's, it's up there. It's still, it's still pretty good compared to some of the other options that we have. Regina writes and she says, does that mean we shouldn't rely on our own personal interpretation? Now, this was a conversation that I had. And uh, the reason it was a conversation is because I actually wrote back and I said, how many years of Hebrew and Greek have you taken? If you have enough Hebrew and Greek to interpret the scriptures, then you don't have to use an interpretation anyway. You can simply read out of the original languages. If you haven't taken Hebrew or Greek, then you, by default, rely on someone else's interpretation. What I mean by that is, and okay, and anyway, she writes back and she says, laugh out loud, God only speaks to scholars, right? Okay. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is anytime you pick up a Bible that is in English, if you're not reading it in Hebrew and you're not reading it in Greek, anytime you pick up an English translation of the Bible, you are using someone's translation. And what those people did to make a translation most of the time, unless you're you know, working for the Et Sefer or something, um, most of the time what those people did is they spent a lot of time learning the original languages. They're not sitting there going, okay, I don't really know Hebrew. Lord, tell me how to interpret this scripture. You know, Zap me with the ability to, to interpret this scripture. That's not how it works. People have gone through a lot of training to be able to interpret from Hebrew and Greek into the uh, into whatever language they're translating into, whether it's English or, or another language. And that is a translation. So by default, unless you're reading out of the Hebrew or the Greek, you are reading a translation. That's all there is to it. This isn't saying that, you know, scholars are better than other people or anything like that. Um, I have a real hard time with the idea that that people are, that Christians or believers are sitting somewhere uh, being spoken to by God on a regular basis anyway. 
in today's day and age. Not that God doesn't speak to people. I believe God does speak to people. And I think that most of the time he speaks to them right out of this. You want to know what the Lord has to say? Pick up your Bible and read it. I don't think that God is is uh, sitting you know, in a tent with someone like he did with Moses and having conversations. I just don't think, you know, I've brought up this uh, this passage many times. In First in Samuel it says, And the word of the Lord was scarce in those days. The word of the Lord in terms of God audibly speaking to people or giving people visions and whatnot, I think is very scarce in our day and age. And the reason why is because he has given us 66 books. We can go and see what the Lord has to say anytime we want. Right? Anything to say on that? Boy, yeah. I mean, you you covered so much of what I was thinking too. It, it's, it, you know, I've had people say, oh, you know, um, it's a, it's a fruitless conversation to, to start talking about what the Hebrew says or the Greek says, or, or having discussions on those, you know, it, we have it in English. And to me, it seems like sometimes people are, they feel intimidated maybe. And so they are like, well, I don't know. I, I don't know how to participate in it, in a discussion about the Greek or about the Hebrew and I love God. And so, it, you know, at the same time, and it's like, I don't love God less because I don't know. But then they feel like they need to tell people who are invested in that, that somehow that it's ungodly or something for them to to get into discussions about the language. And then taking a stand, taking a strong stand about what the Hebrew or Greek says. But I think it's the other way around. We need to the, the body of Messiah needs to support scholarship. Teachers is one of the many members of the body of Messiah. It's not the only one, right? But but it's it's one. It's it's one of the members, and and it is important. And so, uh, appreciating the original languages of Scripture and having part of the body of Messiah. Um, supported to focus and encouraged to focus on laboring in the word of God in that regard. And all these translations are coming from people interacting with the original language. The King James did not advertise itself as coming from the Latin, right? It advertised, what's the advertisement for the King James? It's from the original languages. That's the, 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 the selling point of the King James in its day and age was that it wasn't through a Catholic uh, tradition. It was going to the original languages. Same thing with the reformers. They went back to the original languages. And so what it seems like a lot of these messianic versions, they're really they're really just responding to other English translations and saying, oh, you know, there's criticisms of other translations. But we, someone's got to do the work. Here's the thing. this God revealed his word and he created us. He gave us uh, minds and the ability to acquire skill and uh, the ability to grow, most importantly, the ability to as servants of Messiah, to take up our cross, to to die daily, to grow in what it means to love God and love one another, and that understand and appreciate that language is a, a major gift that God gave us. Just like he told Adam, you know, whatever Adam would name the animals, that would be what it was called. As we learn to read and understand and communicate the truths of God's word, we're doing that as more and more 
mature people in in the ecclesia and our appreciation for language increases and we're never going to we're never going to come to a translation where we all go boom oh, this is it <laughs> yeah. we're always because we're always growing we're, there's going to be new translations if the lord should tarry there's going to be another translation next year and another one after that hopefully you know in new languages that have never been translated into but also in English or Arabic or Chinese. I remember when I had the, the privilege to visit uh, some brothers and sisters in Trinidad a couple of years ago, and there was some people who had come over from uh, Suriname, which is in South America, which was a Dutch colony. And they only have, I think if I remember right, they have only two translations in Dutch. And one of them's like a hundred years old and one of them is newer. So a ma- it, it, that was so helpful for me. It was sobering to, to think, wow, I can go to Bible.com and I have 50 English translations. But if I was Korean, let's say, or Dutch or Chinese, I might have only two translations, if that. And of course, we know that there are languages that don't have any translation. So we need translations. Translations, however, are the product, or they're a work product. And they're either the work product of missionaries who are giving their lives for the gospel and they're pushing and pushing and pushing into new realms, whether that's reaching new people in the English language or reaching people in a, uh, in a language that's never received the gospel, or they're nitpicking or they're the work product of people who are nitpicking about the institution of the church. And we need to be aware of, of those domains. Okay. Hang on just a second. There's something going on in the chat room. I want to, I want to speak to this. Um, so I don't want to blast anyone or anything like that, but I think this is an important point to, to speak to. Uh, Manuel says uh, Christianity has become like sugar skim milk with not nutritional value for growth, just enough to st- stay alive. Salvation and the body chokes on whole milk when they should be eating steak. I have a problem with this. And the reason why is because, uh, you know, you can't put blanket statements like that. There are plenty of great, great, great churches all, throughout the world that are uh, gospel-centered, that love the Lord, that are walking in more Torah than a lot of people in the Torah movement are. There are uh, The reason that you have Bibles today, the reason that you have your Bible today is because of Christianity and because of the continued work that Christian scholars do today. There are people who love the Lord. Some of the greatest apologeti- uh, apologists for, uh, for the Word of, of, of God right now are Christians. Um, so the idea, just because you think that, uh, you know, you might have a different view on a couple of commandments than those in the Christian church, uh, the Christian church, if we can use that, I don't think we can use such a broad statement. Um, but just because you disagree with some of the people, uh, and, and what they believe now, granted, I will give it to you that, uh, you know, if you look at some of the major denominations today, uh, you know the meth the the Methodists and the Lutherans they've they've slid into LGBTQ uh, uh, politics and all sorts of stuff and uh, this is a problem absolutely but the fact of the matter is is that there is a alive and well uh, portion of the church today that loves the Lord has the Holy indwelled with the Holy Spirit you know uh, you got people who uh, are are uh, defending the faith. They're defending the the word of God. They're learning the original languages. And that's a lot more than than can be said for a lot of the people in the Torah movement. 
so I I just I have a, a hard time when when people think that you know honestly I I have a hard time thinking of myself as other than the church. You know, it's because of the uh, of the uh, the church, quote unquote, that we have the scriptures today, and that the Lord has sustained the Spirit throughout the you know has given the Spirit throughout the the ages. Uh, you know, the question that I would have are if if somebody has the Spirit of God, are they a brother or sister in the Lord? The answer is yes. According to the Book of Acts, are they called Christians? The answer is yes. Does that make me a Christian? Absolutely. Does that make me part of the church? Absolutely. So I have a hard time saying that the church has, you know, is is rejected God or, you know, any of this stuff. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't buy it. Um, okay, let's go back to the notes real quick. We got just a couple minutes left. Let's see if we have anything left. Um, okay, and this is the final one that we're going to talk about. Um this person writes in, they say, God has given me a heart to, uh, for ministry to Muslims, and one of the obstacles for them is the fact there are so many translations. They see it as a new Bible, thus a new gospel every year. How would you suggest answering this question of confusion that all the transla- translations have presented to people? Okay, uh, this is a great question. And the answer is that ultimately we have... When it comes to the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, we pretty much have one translation. And it's not a translation. We pretty much have one Bible in the original languages. They're copies, but they, but we have one Bible. Um, the translations come into English. English is not the, uh, I mean, it's because people are trying to put into a different language what the Bible is. And this would be the same for Arabic and for as Rob just said, other languages, Mandarin, uh, Korean, whatever it may be. And so people want to try to give the best uh, translation that they can, and this is why we have so many translations of it, which is one of the reasons that we say people need to try to have some grasp. You don't need to be a a Greek or a Hebrew scholar, but having some grasp of the original languages. You wouldn't believe some of the people that I've talked to who have literally put out translations of the Bible and really have no clue about any Hebrew. And I'm talking like first week, first year Hebrew stuff. Um, it's it's rather shocking. I am not a Hebrew or Greek scholar in any by any stretch of the imagination. I can sit down and I can read my Hebrew Bible in Hebrew. Um, I stumble a lot, but I can read it and get a pretty good sense of what's going on. And to me, that means that I am just at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to it. People like my father, people like Rob, these are guys who have done diligent work and are able to really handle the word of God in the original languages. But at least they have some grasp, right? At least I can look and, and have some knowledge of what's going on in the text. You, know, you want to say anything to that, Rob? Sure. First of all, the the church's mission to the Arabs, Arabic-speaking world more broadly, I know that there are Arab Christians, of course, which in the, uh, but to specifically to where Islam has a deep root, that is a, that is a, an amazing front. And so, wow, I think that's awesome that someone is really understands themselves to be placed in that position for the body. That's first of all, so awesome on that. But 
it is, it's true that if you look, if you ever, I don't know if anybody owns a copy of the Quran or look, you go to the bookstore, it doesn't say a translation. Usually, traditionally, the re religiously endorsed uh, English versions of the Quran are called an interpretation or the meaning of the Quran. And the reason why they do that is because in the Muslim worldview, if, if, if we're going to represent what they view as sacred revelation, right? they believe it's revelation, um, that the revelation is only in the original and anything that's, that we would, we would call in the English-speaking world a translation isn't really. It's just an interpretation or the meaning or, or, a clear, or a, an attempt to explain. And they do that because they want to avoid being like Christianity. They don't want to use, because Christianity uses the word translation. So they avoid it. So there's a little bit of a, re, a religious polemic there. Um, now, on the other hand, there is something to be said about that point of contention that Muslims might have seen so many English translations, because it does on the surface make it look silly. It's like, how would I, how would an outsider even know where to begin? And so we should take seriously the word of God and we should be ready to give an answer and say, look, the reason why we have so many translations is because Yeshua instructed us, first of all, he, that it would go into all the late, all the nations of the world. So there's going to be a lot of translations generally. Also, we appreciate that the English language itself has shifted, has changed over hundreds of years. It's a moving target, as is Arabic. So even in the Islamic world, the common Arabic on the street is not the Arabic of the Quran. So, so that even you could even reflect that back to their own experience is that there is a difference in language over time and thus the need. But also we do have the issue of wolves, wolves among the sheep who come and try to hijack and peddle and make things, you know, uh, to try to infiltrate for their own gain. And so that also is an issue. So it's a, Great question. And um, I think if there's a Christian out there saying, you know, I, you guys are talking about all this complex stuff. I don't know where I stand in it and it's confusing. I just want to sit down with my Bible, my English Bible, and have my devotional time and not have to think about all this. I think that sounds good and fine. But the instant you start asking questions, right. you're yes. going to start you're going to start getting context. You're going to say, well, how does this translation differ from that one? And then you're in for a, a uh, <laughs> I mean, that's where the battle is, right? Is learning to own the word of God and learning to, as we grow in our own character, as we are pruned by the Lord so that we would be more fruitful as we mature spiritually. I don't believe that we can do that if all we, if, if we never talk with anybody about any other translation and we only stick with one translation. I don't, God didn't make us to be isolated like that from conversation. Rather, the greatest commandment, love God, is part of it is talking about the word of God. And if we're talking about the word of God in today's world, you're going to come up against the different translations that are out there. Chances are, you know, I, you know, Caleb, your in experience at synagogue, my experience at synagogue, 
how many different on different translations do people bring? You can't meet and have a conversation about the word of God right. without, unless you, unless there's a, a dictation from, you know, only King James allowed, you know, it's just not going to happen. People are going to bring what people have. And that is going to then add sophistication or complexity to the conversation about God's word. And I don't think that's a bad thing. God wants us to, because it, what it does, it causes us to sharpen. Right. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, before we go, I just want to circle back real quick. You know, I, I do want to give some leeway to Manuel in the, in the, uh, in the chat room. I understand the <laughs> overall point, um, back to this thing on, on Christianity. If we look at the church as a whole today, um, liberalism has, has plagued the church and the sanctification of the church, quote unquote, has gone downhill. Most of the, I would say the majority of those who claim to be Christians today don't have any clue of what uh, they're claiming to be. Um, so in that respect, I agree with you. Um, but I, but using these really broad, I mean, super broad statements about believers, uh, certainly we have really, really spirit-filled people in the world today. That's That was my point. Also, um, to Lois, yes, we have not talked about Victoria's question yet. Uh, this is our, our, our listeners keeping us accountable. Uh, for those who forget, uh, Victoria sent in a question about Romans. Was it Romans 2.25 through 29? Yes, that was, uh, that was hers. And then also MC and Elsie wrote in and asked a question about 1 John 5.17. Um, we're going to get to Victoria's question next week. I, I don't know if we're going to be able to hit MC and LC's question. Actually, and, next week. Oh, well, yeah, I'm we're not, off. We're off next we're week. We're off next week. We're, so in two weeks. Here's the thing is maybe we'll be able to do enough uh, research to... Basically, when it comes to First John 5, 17, MC and LC, I just want to say, uh, you should pick up my dad's book on uh, the Joe Hanine epistles. Um, and the reason why is because there's a lot of different views on what's going on. My father breaks it all down and uh, kind of presents... Uh, the best option. And we could do that in a short uh, segment or maybe even a longer segment, but I'm, but uh, there's just a lot going on in that passage. So that's number one. Victoria, we will uh, definitely get to in two weeks. And that brings me to my final point is that we will be off next week. That's right. We're taking a week off. I know heaven for fame. Uh, we're taking a week off because Rob is going to be doing some, uh, he's going to be uh, taking a online or listening to an online lecture. I'm going to be doing work in Colossians. I'm getting ready for a conference in April. Um, and so I'm, I'm still trying to figure out whether or not uh, I'm going to, what I'm going to teach on. And uh, so I'm studying Colossians right now. I'm going to be doing some extra work in that and trying to get my Acts commentary put together as well. Uh, with all that said, we're taking next week off. So uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Um, but yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. And uh, as always, uh, thank you very much to the chat room and everyone for your uh, for your input and for keeping our conversations going. All right. Well, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why. Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.